Welcome to episode 2 of Crossing Darkness, a podcast where we explore the World of Darkness role-playing game with an emphasis on crossing the streams. In this episode, your hosts Moto Rory and Frozen Fallout discuss Midwinter Gaming Convention, which they attended in Milwaukee, Wisconsin this past January. Join us now as we step onto the second plank of the bridge in our attempt at Crossing Darkness. All right, welcome to the second episode of Crossing Darkness. This is Moto Rory and... Frozen Fallout. All right, so, Frozen, what are we going to be talking about today? Uh, so today we are going to be going over uh, Midwinter and our uh, time that we spent there. This is the first time that me and I believe yourself had gone to Midwinter. Uh, yeah, and... yeah, we had, had not gone to this before. So I guess... To start out, how did we find out about Midwinter? Because I'm not sure I remember. So, Midwinter, well, that's a good question. I think, were, were we uh, just looking through different I things? I want to say, I think it was the LARPs, definitely, that that had been going to. I'm not 100% sure on that, um, but I've, I want to say that the LARPs definitely directed us in, in that direction from the local madison larps here the second act okay well so regardless of how we found out about midwinter do you remember the uh, first interaction we had with it signing up for events because that was actually uh really interesting to me and i think for some people that don't go to a lot of conventions this is the interface for this is just amazing it's called tabletop.events and specifically for midwinter like Signing up for stuff was super easy. Yeah, I, I had a really, uh, really good interaction with it, especially coming from uh, going to Origins as my other <laughs> uh, con comparatively to Gen Con. Uh, and Gen Con's like a mad rush to like get everything. Oh my God, like if you're not on the ball, you have, you've missed out on so much possibilities. And, you know, even more so now that I run events uh, for them. And then mid and then origins was like the interface was horrible. You know, you didn't actually you didn't actually be able to sign up for anything except for the trivia dungeon. Um, and it was you know I don't know. Origins was all about do you know getting everything done when you arrive in a mad rush. Um, Gen Con's all about you know having scheduled the dates to have you know this is when I'm going to sign up for my badge. This is when I'm going to get my hotel. This is when I'm going to sign up for events. You know, this is when I'm going to submit events, such and such. And Midwinter seemed to be really refreshing that it had a really great interface. It was really easy to sign up for things when you wanted to. Um, we did a lot of signing up just prior to the convention, and we used the interface all throughout the convention. I really enjoyed uh, their website. So from my understanding, it's uh, tabletops or tabletop.events that they use for uh, their convention interface, and it's really cool. Yeah. And now, you know, we bring up Origins and Gen Con, so if you haven't been to that, Gen Con has uh, an online interface where you can buy stuff, but there's usually a mad dash to get tickets, and because there's so many people that go to Gen Con, they actually have different tiers of badges that you can get so you can sign up for events early. Uh, and then Origins, I actually prefer slightly more just because we show up there 
you know, beginning of day one so we can get in line and get those kind of rare events. You know, it's more, instead of paying for it, you get to put effort for it. Well, I, well, it, uh, Gen Con doesn't do any VIP kind of stuff uh, for signing up for events. Uh, that I, know I thought they did. There's the VIP badge, but that's like that has its own like thing that it that it does. Um, but I don't believe that they get any priority on anything. I don't even. I think they get like hotel priority. I think is the thing that they get. Uh, I thought they had early sign up for events, but I I could be wrong on that. Um, uh, yeah, I've never. I've, I've definitely never heard of that. Okay. Um, well, anyway, but, so but for midwinter, midwinter was small enough that not everything was sold out right away. And in fact, we got into a few events that, uh, you know, later on I thought should have been sold out. Although absolutely. Uh, another thing about midwinter is all the events were free. Yeah. That was something that was really, um, kind of confusing at first for me. I, I was like, is, is this what, what I, I think yeah. they should have, they need to have like this big, they're going to do that i really think they need to advertise that it's like a huge thing because it just it it confused me at first as to whether or not this was really free or not or what the heck was going on here and, and we'll and, find out about that later when we talk about some of the events that we went to but now so we uh signed up for a bunch of events and if i remember correctly we uh signed up for a few larps i mean i suppose now is a good time to mention that midwinter con started as a larp centric con uh, just around the same time, I believe, that Gen Con left Milwaukee, uh, the early 2000s. And it's pretty much been going strong. It, it keeps getting bigger, as far as I know. Uh, so we signed up yeah, for um, some LARPs. One of the big things, too, is that they're, they started as a LARP con, and I'd say that they're transitioning much more into just being a general solid con that has really big LARPs. And that's something that uh, we did a lot of tabletop. We did a lot of different things throughout the con, and um, we didn't do a, a ton of LARPing, actually. Um, and a lot of our stuff was actual trying to get into the tabletops with the wrecking crew and stuff like that. But we did do a LARP because it is the LARP con, so we did want to check that out. And we'll talk about that more later. Yeah. And now I, I would say alternately that if you wanted to LARP, most of the time that you were there, that was pretty much an option. There were there were LARPs going from just about from noon to midnight every day, and, and probably a little bit after midnight and sometimes before noon. So, yeah, yeah. If, if you're into LARPing, this is the con to go to, not just for the quality of LARPs, but the the variety and the enthusiasm. Uh, and in fact, there were there were some one-off LARPs that weren't in any other systems. Uh, there were, there was a, a company that came up with a new like uh, mythos, and this was like one of their first play tests. So, yeah, if if you're in the LARP community, community uh, Midwinter Con is the place to be. So, anyway, so so we signed up for a bunch of events, and then we left on Thursday morning. And let's see. So there wasn't really much until we got to the hotel. It's in the, the Hilton, downtown Milwaukee. And it took us a few minutes to find the uh, the booth to get our badge. Let's see. Navigating the hotel. So Frozen Fallout. What was the first event that we went to? So we went to the Industry Summit uh, Welcome. So that was the first like 
welcoming publishers, freelancers, and the like. Uh, start your morning by meeting your fellow industry peers in attendance. And now, at, at the first table that we sat down at, I, I was not expecting this kind of stuff. The guy that had just finished the, the writing slash development of the new Beckett's Jihad Diary sat down and talked to us. And I didn't, I didn't really realize who that guy was until much later. Well, not much later, later that day at the convention. So that was, uh, that was pretty interesting. Welcome to the part of the episode where we had to stop recording due to technical difficulties. Now, back to the show. All right, so we were talking about the industry uh, summit welcome. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking at, uh, so they had a bunch of the attendees on here, seeing if I recognize any of the names. I'm horrible with names, but uh, wondering if you, Mike, are recognizing anybody who you remember from the uh, from that summit meeting. Uh, I am not recognizing any of those names, no. But let's see, there were a few people that were running LARPs, certainly. There was a few guys from Onyx Path, uh, specifically, I, I can't remember his name, but uh, the guy that did Beckett Jihad's diary, Beckett's Jihad yep. diary. Um, I believe that uh, um, the CEO of Onyx Path would was at that uh as well yes he was uh we didn't we didn't sit at the table with him then correct uh, i w- came I, in a little bit late yeah but there was a a guy that we would talk to later uh who was just a game developer who had actually already released a few games uh there was a guy who had just uh developed or had been developing for what 20 years a setting slash role-playing game and honestly we should have taken more notes i don't remember so we had gone to the image uh, industry summit welcome where we met a bunch of people, including some people from Onyx path. Uh, and then right after that was the industry summit Kickstarter. What was it called? Uh, Kickstarter nightmares where we learned a bunch of stuff about how Kickstarter works and how it doesn't work. I think uh, my favorite revelation that I didn't know about before was that, when you do a Kickstarter, there are people out there who will pledge the minimum amount, which I, I guess is $1, just so they can post in the comments hurtful and hateful things. And apparently it's a big deal. It's, it's a big problem. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of really good information I felt in there about uh, also about t-shirts, being really careful about what kind of prizes you kind of give out because if you go with t-shirts you've got to get all different types of sizes you don't necessarily know what everybody you know go with things that are are easy to replicate um, and you don't need to worry about size differentials based on people um, for kickstarter goals and stuff like that for rewards yeah that was that was pretty important i thought trying to think of some of the other stuff that they said about kickstarter do you remember anything specific? Um, not specifically. I, I thought it was like a good kind of like talk about just kind of be a little bit wary about, you know, be smart about when you're doing uh, Kickstarter stuff and, you know, really think about 
you know, be really serious, be really, you know, put a lot of thought into your goals, your rewards, your commenting, make sure that you're always, you know, updating and keeping in, in touch with your base. Uh, you know, in, in general, um, I feel like this is almost just an industry general in, in, in our world right now. Communication is key with the ease of communication. When it took days to get a letter from point A to B, it made sense when people weren't really talking to each other. Even when phones, you know, there's only so much you can talk. But uh, when you're doing a Kickstarter, you have to have somebody that is communicating with your public. You need to have somebody that's updating, that's, you know, whenever there's a comment that's negative, talk to that person. Don't just shut them down. You know, they might have a reason for having a negative comment. They might be a troll, and then you can identify these people. But for the most part, you know, you, the way to mitigate trolls was to to actually communicate with them and to talk with the public about what those concerns are and addressing them if possible. Yeah, and and that was probably one of the more interesting parts, especially coming from the Onyx Path guys uh, when they talked about because they do most of their stuff through Kickstarter now to get the initial funding. It's kind of like an advertising thing. It gets people in the community involved. Uh, and they said that they basically have to have somebody, once the Kickstarter goes live, monitoring that Kickstarter 24-7 uh, until the end of it. Because if there if there's nobody monitoring it, like you said, like the troll comments get in, the, the negative comments take over, and it uh, apparently can really kill a Kickstarter. The other part of that was that they said if somebody is doing that for too long, they get burned out from just the constant negativity that they have to deal with. So uh, that was interesting to hear from them, that they just have to constantly monitor people's mental health while they're you know dealing with Kickstarter trolls. And it's, it's a strange yeah. thing to find out about. But that's the industry, I suppose. And that's why we went, to find out about that. Anyway, uh, any other comments about the Kickstarter one? Uh, no, just I've, I've really felt like the industry summit stuff was really cool, and I highly suggest it to everybody. Um, and uh, we have one more review coming right up on uh, another industry summit, uh, how to make the most of your midwinter, which uh, I yeah. thought was really great as well. I, I was really surprised by this because I thought this was just going to be people pouring over the event listing and saying, oh, I'm going to this, I'm going to this. And it was, instead, it was the woman who, I think it's Ann Holmes, that's who's listed here. Mm -hmm. She's the woman that puts this entire convention together and has for, I think, the whole run. And she was just the nicest, yeah, most um, thoughtful and, person. Yeah, it was um, really good talking to her. We talked, we did a little bit of, uh, she went around and like talked to, every, you know, kind of had like a round table of, you know, questions and answers and, you know, different kind of, you know, how, how do we get everybody to communicate with each other? How do we get everybody to connect and make sure that we utilize our resources of who we know in the industry in order to help those who need to connect inside of the industry? And for us, um, I'm really excited because it's got me really excited to run events at midwinter and i really look forward to doing more of our type of stuff and expanding out to the different industries with with our tabletop larp games that we run yeah uh, there there's just everybody there 
is just ready to talk to you. They're ready to make connections. Everybody's got business cards. It's it's really great. I think there were there were two specific questions that I asked her. The first one was, why are all the events zero dollars? I was kind of confused by that because I, I was wondering if I was going to sign up for all these events and then show up and get my badge and find out that I was then charged you know a bunch of money. And she explained, nope. I have always made all the events free because I want people to not have to worry about paying for for events. It's you get the badge, you can do everything that you want at the con. And you know, that might not work at larger conventions, but at this convention it really worked incredibly well. The only downside I might see is there was no there was no downside to signing up, so even we signed up for stuff that we just didn't go to. So that was... Uh... Yeah, it was a lot easier to not be very commitment-based, and that can be a little bit... I mean, it, it, it depends. I yeah. guess the, the only thing that I, I thought was interesting was we, we wanted to go to a mega game, and we asked why the mega game had been canceled. Um, and they yeah. said that they felt that they didn't have enough people and it's it's not really a convention where people sign up or are committed to a ticket. It's much more of a show up type uh yeah con. Yeah, there were there were LARPs where, you know, fifteen people were signed up and you had twenty five players. And this mega game, which I'm not sure if we need to go into what a mega game is right now, but this mega game what two weeks before the convention the organizers saw that only three people were signed up and so they pulled out they canceled the event and i specifically asked about it because i've never been able to play a mega game of that style and yeah I was just saying i was disappointed that i couldn't do it whereas if they had come to the convention they probably would have, would have had 25 30 players so yeah so again that there, there's a little bit of a downside with the the way that they set up the the events but uh but overall i think it was for that size of convention just a really good way to do it absolutely yeah anyway, um so what did i don't we... really have anything else for industry summit all right so the rest of the day oh yeah so this is this is my favorite event the onyx path social q a and I still can't believe that this was a thing. I can't believe that it was free. I can't believe that we got into it. And why don't you tell people what it was? Um, so this was a kind of a round table with the CEO and developers of uh, Onyx Path. So there is Rich uh, Thomas was there. Um, I believe Rose Bailey was there. Yep. Um, Eddie Webb was there i believe um and i don't know if uh, do you remember who else was there mike uh well the the guy who wrote beckett's jihad diary the girl editor i should have looked up these people's names before we recorded this <laughs> but uh well i mean we can edit uh you know as long as we take out a chunk here um, yeah, possibly but yeah that that was the names that i was able to find yeah but it was it was just pretty amazing that we got to sit down with people who are, at least in my eyes, legends in the industry. They've been writing stuff that we've been playing for years. And to sit down and find out that they're totally normal people who just work in this industry. So I'm 
the impression that I got from them was that they were expecting questions about, you know, the game lines that they were working on and, you know, mechanics questions and stuff like that. And then I don't know if they were pleased with the direction that I went, but uh, I started asking them questions about completely different stuff. The My favorite one was what ratio of your time do you spend doing creative work? You know, because... You know, I, I imagine these people just sitting in a room, just writing these books, just pulling them out of thin air. And then you find out that they said it's about a third of the time. So the creative people in the industry, when they're actually working, a third of it is creative. I think if they said a third is administrative. So you're doing emails, you're negotiating contracts, you're calling people, you're setting up new contracts. It's it's a lot of that stuff. I think, And then the other third, I think, was just editing because there's a lot of there's a lot of feedback loops stuff like that. Uh, do you remember any of the other questions we had for them? Um, yeah, my my thing for them was a lot of like about how we run Madison under siege and what is the licensing issues or you know is there any issues for running events under the you know uh, game system of World of Darkness or uh, White Wolf's uh, Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse hunter the reckoning these games you know do they have any kind of uh, restrictions on what we're doing here and, and it was good to hear from them that they said you know there's no real issues with that you can run events that's just free advertising for us if they you know they they would like you know to reach out and get an email you know or something like that that you know just lets them know what's goes what's going on maybe is you know it's kind of a uh if you have some etiquette, but in general, it's, you know, people are free to, to run their events and play their games and, you know, run their systems. And it's good to see that coming from like a CEO and stuff like that, where in this day and age, um, it's, there's sometimes is a fine line between advertisement and um, copyright infringement in the sense of, you know, the small time people can go be, be gotten after quite a bit youtube and stuff like that has been getting smashed by a lot of these small time you know let's players and stuff like that are getting hit by copyright infringement and stuff like that and it, it feels like at least in the running of events at, at conventions i can confirm 100 percent, but uh you know in general it doesn't seem like onyx path or white wolf are going to be going on any kind of copyright infringement sprees and that it's more about getting people into gaming and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, the the impression that I got overall was that in the end, no matter how big the industry looks from the inside, it's a relatively small one as far as industries go. And for companies like White Wolf and Onyx Path, they don't have the manpower, the, the man hours to go after people that aren't even making that much money off of stuff. So you'd, you'd, you'd almost have to get to the point where you're making more money than them for them to even care. That's, that's a bit of or an exaggeration, though. Yeah. I think if you were, you know, I mean, you can even resell books, right? If you were printing knockoffs of Beckett's Jihad Diary right now, Yes, they'd go after you, but oh yeah. But if you're just running games at conventions and charging a bit extra, no big deal. So I thought that was good. Uh, I think my other question uh, or revelation during it was I found out that Onyx Path only has I think 
three full-time employees and the rest of the people in the room were all freelancers. Uh, Eddie Webb, the guy that did Beckett's Jihad Diary, uh, one of the editors. These are people that have day jobs. And, you know, that's that's something that I found out in another industry, just, just writing novels. Uh, so at Origins, I go to a lot of the, the author panels. And you find out that most of these people who have, you know, you know, several, if not dozens of books in print work at just some company and write in their free time. And it's the same for World of Darkness, at least for Onyx Path. And that just really kind of threw me for a loop because, I mean, if you think about it, uh, Wizards of the Coast, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, that's a big company. They have a big headquarters. But Onyx Path, who represents this this World of Darkness, the this huge mythos, relatively small and that just that really surprised me yeah so and that was pretty much um our day um i mean in general we kind of uh the the one thing that i kind of want to point out um and we'll get to more on on saturday but um i believe it was on friday that we did meet rick hines i believe is his name uh yeah the guy from california yeah, I, I hope I'm pronouncing with... it right, Rick. It's Rick Hines, H-E-I-N-Z. Uh, really cool guy. Writes this book, uh, The Seventh Age, Dawn. Highly recommended. It's on um, Audible. And it is a um, good book, too, to pick up uh, probably at local bookstores or online. Google it. And, uh, yeah, definitely a really cool guy. Um, he does uh, his own podcast. Um, he also does... Is he the one that works with Geek and Sundry, or is that the other guy? Yes, Geek and Sundry. Um, he, I believe he writes for them. Hopefully I'm getting this all right, Rick. But in any case, uh, well, he was we'll really just, cool we'll to talk to him. have podcast and ask him. Yeah, absolutely. That that's, uh, If you're listening, Rick, we would love to have you on our podcast. Um, in any case, uh, it is... It was really cool talking to him, and then he said to check out his Dread game. So there's this system, open uh, system called Dread, using a Jenga as the um, primary tool of success or failure. And we'll get more into that uh, when we talk about Saturday. But it was, I believe, this day uh, uh, Friday was the next big thing for me was really meeting Rick and him introducing me to Dread. Um, which I will probably be, start introducing into m- many of my games. That's just going to be, I think, a uh, a thing for, uh, that I and we'll talk more about that later. Um, but is there anything for you on Friday or the end of Thursday that uh, that you wanted to bring up? Uh, so, so yeah, Thursday. I think we just after the Q and A, we just kind of bummed around for a bit. I think oh they no they hadn't even set up the uh, exhibit hall yet. The only thing I did was I played a board game later that night called Sonar Captain, which if you can get eight people in the same room, Sonar Captain is going to be a real fun time. It, uh, you know, I'm not even going to explain it. It's just a bunch of yelling and people drawing on maps. And, it's uh, about submarines, shooting right? Shooting torpedoes. Yeah, yeah. Submarines. and We, we just played the, uh, we played two on two, so we only had four players. Uh, and even then, it was, you know, exciting and fraught with danger. So, it's, you know, I I'm I'm gonna buy it from my parents. They they play board games, and and in fact, I just saw them a few weeks ago, and they said something about we need a game that eight players can play. 
and I was like, oh, I, I got to get you sonar, Captain. So check it out. I'm sure there's some gameplay videos out there, but it's it's really fun. Uh, so on to Friday. What was the first thing we went to? Did we go to Storyteller's Guide to Not Sucking? Um, oh, yeah. I don't that, remember. Um, that that was the one. Certain, that I want to say yes. 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 Yes, it was. Uh, and I don't have that in my database. Oh, you um, don't? Okay. And, uh, well, let me just, yeah. Let me, uh, let me read it. Uh, Rick Hines and Benjamin Riggs from Geek and Sundry, along with other storytellers for a panel on game mastering tips and tricks. Find your style, learn player agency, and learn why you should never run a dream sequence. Ah, yes, yes. Okay, so... See, it's interesting because uh, Origins is uh, and uh, Gen Con's all the uh, panels and stuff like that are all meshing together, starting to forget which one was which. But yeah, now I'm directly remembering this one. This was a really good one. I thought that, you know, I I took some notes, and that's where that's where I had a lot of these notes from too. Was just some of the things, you know, don't do dream sequences. Make player actions matter play other games you know get get out there see what else is out there in order to improve and this is all for storytellers you know for people who are who if you want to be a good storyteller so i i'll probably i'm going to go on a, a little bit of a rant later on but uh i want to get your point of view first um before i go on uh, my kind of rant because i'm really remembering this now and i'm i've got notes on it and um um, yeah, I, I kind of I I want to hear what you remember, though. Let's see. If I remember correctly, Rick Hines talked about the dream sequence thing. He talked about his game Seventh Age. He talked about Dread. Um, yep. uh, he, he talked generally about storytelling. Uh, it was the Benjamin Riggs guy that talked about communal storytelling in the style that came out of the 70s and D&D is a relatively still young kind of art form. And so he was taking it from an academic perspective and he was trying to classify things uh into you know storyteller styles player styles kind of taking it from an academic perspective we didn't really get too far into that because i want to say uh rick kind of took over and uh, a lot of talking and benjamin didn't talk too much but yeah i, I talked to benjamin afterwards because i had some comments about you know, his classifications. I think there's a lot more academic study out there that he doesn't know about, but I don't know about it either. So I just told him something about mental flow, which is my own personal obsession. But yeah, so what did, what did you have to say about this particular panel? Um, so I'm just going to kind of go off of my notes here and um, kind of go over what some of the stuff I really thought was some things that I really want to take home from from this, and that was um, try Dread, um, try this, uh, try other games, bring other games into your games. Uh, you don't need to be a static storyteller. In um, so we're we're crossing darkness. We are the bringing together the world of darkness in general. Though I think this is a, a tale for everybody. Is that don't be afraid to mesh things and work with things and build your own system, your own game, your own concept of what you want to do to change it up. The The idea that he stated that really just blew my mind and was like, okay, I've got to try this. I've, um, you know, little side story here. I've forsaken Dungeons and Dragons as a storyteller um, only for, 
because I don't like mechanic craziness and I'm just, I'm not really into mechanics, but I might, I might go back um, more and more as, especially as I'm going to talk about here, which is to try other games, to mend other things together in order to make your game fun for you and your group. And that was to say, okay, so we're playing Dungeons and Dragons and I've got to try this. I've, I've, uh, I know I said I won't go back, but I, I, I take that back. I definitely will do this. I'm going to do this at Gen Con, too. I should run an event for it. And the thing about it is that you've got uh, Dungeons & Dragons set up. You're on a bridge that's made of ice, and it's falling apart. And every time that you take an action, you take a piece of the Jenga tower out. And if the Jenga tower falls, the bridge falls down. It's just, I, f I felt the simplicity and the beauty of that was awesome. Um, and if you knock down the tower, you can knock down the bridge. So you can bring it to, to your advantage. You can pull the thou shall not pass uh, or you shall not pass or, or whatever. And I, I really just loved that kind of concept of merging Dungeons and Dragons in Dread. And I'd never heard of Dread. I've never, uh, you know, I played Jenga. But I've, up until this point, I'd never heard of this system. And uh, we got to play in the game uh, later on Saturday of his uh, Seventh Age Dread game. And we'll go in, into more about that later. But this was really just a, a, a really great panel that talked, uh, you know, not using dream sequence. In, and it's not necessarily, I think the end, that was the, the primer for it. Don't use dream sequences. They told stories about, you know, and everybody's got the dreaded story of the dream sequence that went wrong. And I think the dream sequence went wrong, though it all came down to the conclusion of you lost player agency. Yeah. The, Nothing that, mattered. That was their, their whole point was that they've run dream sequences in the past and players got you know, very angry that the actions that they just took didn't have any real world consequences. So it's not necessarily don't run. Right. You, you want to make sure that don't let your play, don't run your players through something that isn't going to have consequences. Right. That make your players actions matter. Yeah. You know, it's another little primer I have here in my notes. Um, Actually, I've got, you know, and that was something. That. You want to hear it? What's that? I got a quick story about that. Uh, do you want to hear it or not? All right, I'm just I'm just going to tell the story. I, I ran L5R one time, Legend of the Five Rings, and there was a poetry contest, and one of my players went up against uh, an NPC, and in the system, if you do like, and if you write the actual poetry, you can get a couple of free raises. They're called. So my player, you know, wrote a, a beautiful haiku, and then I still had him roll. Right now, he blew the other guy out of the water not just with the free raises from actual writing the poetry, but then after that, I gave the example of, you know, what the other guy's poetry was like, and it was terrible. And he got angry because, you know, he, he had gone to the effort of writing this poem and he was like, I would have won anyway. You know, you, you just took my agency away is what he was saying. He was angry about that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, that absolutely. You know, you want to you, you want to make sure that everything that the players do has a level of consequence that, you know, and I talked a, a little bit about this with with people at at a LARP that I storytell for. And um, it's the idea of not just player agency in the sense of 
you know stuff that you do matters but also that when you can when you do stuff that you're not blocked by arbitrary goals and tasks that that need to be accomplished the way that the storyteller sees fit um, you want to have multiple keys to the door you want to be able to blow the door apart you want to be able to dig a ton tunnel underneath the door and you want to have consequences for all of the different choices that you've made you know putting all you know putting the golden key into one player's hand you know in larps is a big thing that you don't want to do because what if that person doesn't show up what if they've got other things that they're doing you know what if they uh, misuse the key um you know or people you know it's just all about different kind of things that you want to uh, you want to be able to give people the ability to accomplish tasks and go about it in the way that they are imagining would work best and giving consequences to a certain degree. Yeah. And, and while also not making them read your mind, which. Yes. Is a, is yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've had that with GMs before where it's like, ah, oh, you were just, all you had to do was say this word and I would have given it to you. And I'm like, Oh, really? We said everything but that word, <laughs> and, and or, you know it, that, and that's some of the things that. But it, it's it's one of those things. You also have to set up expectations with your players. If that's the thing, if you, if you're if you got the puzzle that they need to solve, you need to make it very apparent that that's what they're doing right now. You know, and that and that that's that's what you're going to be running. And do do you you know do your players want to do that? You know, and you sometimes you need to on the fly something sometimes you need to realize that the room is cold and uh and nobody's clapping <laughs> and so you need to like amp it up you need to change it up you need to look at what you're doing but in general like so you can do stuff like play to lose uh playing to lose uh they talked about you know this is something that i'm trying to remember exactly what they were talking about um, but when I when I read playing to lose, I definitely think about the whole concept of, you know, sometimes, you know, you are you're playing to try and extend. Um, well, I don't know. You know that. My my thing with playing to lose is in many cases, failure is the much more interesting story. Right. If if all you do is succeed, there's no character growth. There's no, there's nothing to overcome, right? If, yes, for example, yes. like, okay, I picked this lock. Oh, you blew it out of the water. Good job. All right, I picked this next lock. It looks really complicated. Oh, I did that too. Uh, I want to steal that guy's pants. Well, that's going to be really hard, but, oh, no, you succeeded. And it's like, well, that it's, it's basically the equivalent of taking away agency. Allowing people to do anything they want is the same as not allowing them to do anything in the end. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things I had to note here on is uh, RPGs are only 40 years old. And I found that to be an interesting statistic. I'm not sure, you know, exactly how accurate 100% that is, but it sounds about right that, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, the concept of what we call RPGs has only been around for really 40 years. So this is a new story format to a certain degree. But I think that there's a lot of similarity between RPGs and just general orator storytelling that has been around forever. 
it's probably some of the reasons why a lot of our mythological tales are so crazy is because people are, you know, collaboratively or singly, you know, or individually, you know, making alterations to stories in order to make them fascinating and fun to, to read or hear. Yeah, no, there's, at the very least, audience participation has been around for a long time. I think this is just a logical extension of that to uh, the the most intimate form of audience participation. Where yeah, you... I think I think RPGs really brought in the idea of a mechanical system to to the play. Yeah, and and that's actually what the that Benjamin guy was talking about is there is a pretty short history of this and we can look at that history and start to codify different things. So, uh, I actually I have his the sheet that he passed out somewhere around here. So maybe one day I'll actually read that. Might be something there. But anyway, so I was actually thinking maybe we uh, take a break and come back in a few minutes and talk about the rest of Midwinter. Absolutely. All right. I'll see you guys in a little bit. back uh all right so we just got done talking about the panel that we went to so actually i just remembered that the there was a panel right after that uh it was the big reveal by onyx path that they were going to be developing uh a role-playing game the the new edition of a role-playing game uh all right so uh dystopia rising i believe it was though uh yes yeah, which I don't know anything about. I, I think it was uh, it's a post-apocalyptic world, something to do with people have powers. Um, honestly, I don't remember much of the panel. We stayed for it mostly because it was just the people from Onyx Path. But uh, but anyway, so after that, we went to the exhibit hall, and if I remember correctly, we were waiting for the exhibit hall to open, and one of the guys that we met from the industry summit on the first day was sitting outside the exhibit hall doing demos for his game capers so why don't you yes. just go ahead and talk yeah. about that game because i believe you actually bought it um yeah i did i bought the primer for it it was like a couple dollars or something like that but yeah it was it was this kind of like you used cards and it, it was you know the characters were you know the rules and stuff like that seemed really simple and it was basically it's superpowers and it was based in the 60s i think uh no the, um, the, the 20s the, the roaring 20s the 20s, so the 20s gangsters and thugs you know flappers uh ladies with the thin dresses uh, I, I can't remember exactly but uh but yeah you had superpowers the uh the way that he described it was if you've ever seen boardwalk empire with steve buscemi who plays uh, yeah. Nookie. That's essentially what the game is. But you have superpowers, and the mechanics of the game were uh, you had a deck of cards, and it was essentially uh, some sort of bidding process. There, you know, There's rules to see who comes out on top. There, I believe there were no dice. 
Uh, oh, and then you had poker chips, and that was like your your extra uh, bidding power. Oh yeah, so. yeah, that was I liked that. I, that was one of the things that drew me to it was the use of cards and the use of poker chips. I was like that, and that came along with the you know like use other things in your game. So I'm thinking of ways of like including cards and poker chips in my games in order to like enhance. Yeah, and that that goes back experience. to. The, the same idea with the Jenga Tower. There's there's lots of different ways to add things into your game that aren't dice-based that can be really interesting. Absolutely, and that's that's one of the big takeaways that I took from it, which is why I bought the, the primer. Uh, anyway, so the guy's name is Craig Campbell. can't remember where he's from, but uh, I, I later bought uh, another thing by him, which is called Die Laughing, another preview edition. And it's uh, no dice, but it's... Uh, a thing about you you play characters in the the classic style horror movies where uh you know there's a monster and everybody gets to play the monsters when they're not in the scene people die and then become producers on the movie i thought i thought it was pretty interesting i gotta try it out sometime yeah i remember i remember a little bit about that i thought that was really cool yeah so if you're looking for some interesting stuff check out craig campbell uh, he's pretty cool. Pretty cool guy. Uh, I think I got his card, and he's going to email us when his Kickstarter goes live so we can help with the uh, the trolls. Yeah, we should do, uh, on a little side note here, We should, uh, everybody we mentioned here, we should put a link in our little description. So if, uh, if you're looking for any information on any of these people, you can definitely um, check out our uh, description on Podbean, and we will be posting all of that on there awesome all right so then we went into the exhibit hall uh and let's see onyx path was there i think I, I spent a lot of time in the the area where there was a game shop that had set up a bunch of board games yep, rick Hines was there yep he had uh, his whole setup with uh, his books uh we actually talked to him for a while quite a bit yeah uh, we also found some notebooks we found out that when we left we hadn't brought anything to take notes on and we found it was this older couple that i'm pretty sure they were just punk rockers from back in the day and they did just a bunch of different art uh, so we bought some notebooks from them. it was pretty cool yeah it's the notebook i'm looking at right now yeah. uh anything else from the exhibit hall that you remember offhand that they didn't have beckett's jihad diary oh yeah very sad yeah i ended up getting it on uh rpg drive through the uh print on demand version very happy with it have not been disappointed with any of the print-on-demand from RPG drive-thru. Also throw a link for both that book and Beckett's uh, Jihad Diary as well as RPG drive-thru where you can get that. Awesome. All right, so uh, do you remember if we did anything else on Friday? I think we're, were we going to go to a LARP, but then we didn't? So Friday we did go to the LARP. That was second act werewolf. Character creation was at 6 p.m. to 7 p.m., uh, so that was when you made your first LARP werewolf character, I believe. Yeah. Uh, well, you made a character and mine too. As well. And me as well. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I remember, um, you know, that was really nice. That was one of the uh, things I think me and Mike really appreciated. Um, I personally definitely appreciated the concept of character creation. I think it was one of the reasons why we uh, chose this LARP specifically. Um, and second act, uh, Werewolf does have a uh, local LARP that I'm participating in currently, um, as well as many LARPs 
the Madison, Wisconsin, Midwestern area. Um, they're expanding quite a bit. Uh, we'll have links for a lot of this. And uh, so they had a, a character creation. Uh, Mike, what did you think of, so from a perspective of somebody who hadn't really, you know, you've, you've kind of dipped your toe into uh, LARP, but you've, you're, I would say that you would staunchly call yourself a tabletop uh, role yeah. player. Is that correct? Well, I'm not much of a LARPer, but it's mostly because as a player, I, I don't really, I, I don't feel I get out of LARP what a lot of other people do, which I'm still somewhat confused about, but I'm, I'm trying to learn that. But in this specific case, I, I had a pretty good time. The uh, character creation was a little bit rushed. We were the only two people making characters. Everybody else there had been playing in their, their local LARPs uh, for some time. Yeah, we were really the only two to create characters, I feel. Yeah. So um, now we, uh, let's and... see, the, the storyline that night was that uh, a bunch of people from a bunch of different sets were going to Minneapolis to save uh, a sept up there that was under attack. And so we made a couple of bone gnars from Minneapolis who were a part of that sept. And then the idea was we would then, after that, kind of as paying off our debt, move to, not Madison, but uh, Wisconsin Dells, where, where our local LARP is set. Uh, and we did, we did go to a game, what was it, just a couple weeks after the con. But yeah, so we participated in that. It was a lot of combat that night. I was only somewhat surprised, but definitely surprised that there was there was a lot of sitting around because they only had what two GMs. Um, I feel like there was three. Um, and, but I mean, I I really appreciated the setup that they had. So, I mean, character creation for me was was pretty decent. Um, I there's there's a lot of a player agency is actually, I would say, almost overabundant in LARP. There is really a concept of make your own story, do your own thing, and it is extremely appealing to people. And I think some of the the thing about me, and I don't know about you, Mike, but the reason why I feel like the player agency is almost too much is because I feel like I'm going to be butting into other people's stories or you know, I, I don't know where where the line is drawn on how far I can storytell, basically, as a player. Yeah, and, um, and that's that's kind of my issue with LARP is uh, I'm usually a reactionary gamer. You know, it's the GM gives me a situation that there's an obvious problem that I need to fix, and I get the impression that in a lot of LARPs, the storytellers, yeah, they might do some stuff like that, but they're waiting for you to generate the content and they're reacting to you uh rather than the right way and it, and i felt like this game was really like spot on with the amount of player agency that you had along with a, an extremely compelling storyline that you you went around and basically played tabletop you know in scenes i felt like my impression was this this you know, we came in, we made characters very similar to if you were coming in and you were playing a tabletop game. I mean, there's there's all the all amount of intimacy that you can have. Of, uh, you had a GM that, you know, would walk through what the different powers were. Um, I feel to a certain degree, they focused a lot on the rules and not a lot on... And, 
and that that to a certain degree was surprising to me because I would have figured they would have focused really hard on well just let's make up a story and I'll we'll figure out what the rules are for that it was much more what what mechanics are you going to be using during this game and what and here are good you know they definitely did point out some good things for you to use and stuff like that what you could have and uh, they did spend a good two hours give or take with us on the character creation but in then we jump into the game right so inside of the game i felt this was really well done you know you kind of had a cue to a certain degree of when you would get to be with a gm which is fine because that's kind of your downtime that's almost very similar to what we do in our games i've i've I really felt like a lot of the spirit of what we do in our game is what we felt in in the, that event at Midwinter, um, which is the, you know, you kind of have some downtime to like go around and talk to people and figure out what you're going to be doing next. And then you get a GM and you go and run a scene with them with like, you know, five to eight people. You know, you could get really good big, big groups of people and do like this crazy combat scene. You know, and it's werewolf, so it's everybody's in a pack. Everybody's joining a pack. If you're not part of a pack, um, you can come in, you know, as a pup and, you know, figure out what's going on or come in as a leader who wants to create your own pack and play your own story, I felt was really well done in that. And then what you really just had to worry about the meta story was the most important thing that was going on. So we got to interact with different GMs throughout the night um, and had a lot of interaction with GMs for the limited amount of GMs they had. They really made it count, I felt. Yeah, and we got to uh, participate in one, or was it two combats? I want to say it was two. Two combats. Yeah, So, um, and most and... of the other time we were sitting around, but that, that was actually pretty fun for me because there were a lot of people who were just, you know, really nice gamers to hang out with while we weren't doing stuff. And sometimes we would go into character and like talk in character, but a lot of it was just, you know, you know, where are you from? What do you do? Stuff like that. Uh, yeah. You got to meet them. I think the, the event settings are really good. Um, and it's something that I think that most LARPs need to focus more on. And I think second act did a really good job of really making you feel like you could come in and, be part of, you know, everybody's kind of getting together and you're meeting new people. And um, even some of these people have been playing together for a long time. Some of them are brand new because they're from all over the cities, you know, coming to to it. They're not necessarily brand new as in their brand new character, um, but they're brand new to the group and they don't know anybody. So everybody got to kind of like meet people and it was a very welcoming atmosphere. Yeah, and I suppose we should mention that there are people from all over the region that come to this convention specifically to take part in some of these LARPs. Because, like, for example, the this werewolf LARP had been going for, what, six months now? And this was one of the first, like, one where people from all over the place came in and played all in one game at once. Whereas normally they're playing once a month in their lo local town uh, LARP. Like, I think there's one in La Crosse, one in Green Bay. I, I don't know where, where the other ones are. But uh, they, you know, this is this is a big deal for them. And we kind of came in and just said, well, we're just starting out. And there were, there were definitely a few individuals that really made the point of asking us if we had any questions, 
making us feel welcome. I got to say, as far as getting me into LARP, they definitely did a good job of that. I still don't really understand, you know, or I, I don't think I would get out of it what a lot of these players would, but I can, I'm starting to understand that. But anyway, so we did the two combats. We hung out with some gamers for a while. What was the, what was the big thing at the end? Because you actually took part in that when she tell people about that um yeah so there basically the the kind of setup was and was this whole concept that there was the the node had been corrupted the karn had been corrupted and we we, we had to fight off all of the worm taint and there was a bunch of people getting kidnapped and we needed to gather up a bunch of resources so people were out doing different missions to get resources or save people so we did all of the like the saving of people things so we we attacked like a uh the the one that i remember the most is that we like attacked this building a hotel or an apartment building and i believe it was an apartment building that we assaulted we took down a vampire that turned into a bear and a uh another vampire as well um i ended up staking um the vampire you got like two of the main kills didn't you yeah, I, I killed. I don't think I killed the bear. Um, I believe the the were rat killed the bear. Um, if I remember correctly, he would tell it that way. I mean, he he definitely was very brave, and got frozen. But that's besides the point. In any case, uh, it you know there was there was a lot of fun to be had with just a nice little fighting a bunch of fomore and getting to. Uh, have like eight people in combat against the GM and just, you know, like go through the rules real quick, real easy. The rock, paper, scissors actually worked out really well. Um, I'm a little bit lenient on, or not uh, lenient, but a little bit leery of the rock, paper, scissors rules in general. I've definitely, you know, throughout the years of LARP and stuff like that, I, I've come to appreciate it for what it is, but... I guess I'll always hold my bag of dice as being a fetter of mine or a uh, charm. Well, I would say the, the rock, paper, scissors, once you get used to it, it is a pretty good way of adjudicating the outcomes of events, especially adversarially uh, between two players when there's no GM. You know, it, It's a good yes. way to agree that something happened. I was kind of surprised that we still used it while we were sitting around a table. Right, and if you don't have a table, it's harder to roll dice. Stuff like that, I, I get. I just, I really like, I, I guess I, I'm a big mage uh, storyteller, and so I like the complication of dice. I like the, well, the randomness. I, the, the thing is, in the, Werewolf, there's you can really get down to, these are physical attacks, or you're using a gift, stuff like that. Whereas in Mage, it's, okay, I'm going to cast this spell. And it's super complicated. Well, let's boil it down to one rock, paper, scissors thing. And it doesn't really... That's probably well, why you can there do aren't multiple, a lot of you know, mage rock, LARPs. paper, scissors things. But that's the thing. Yeah, it's Well, there are mage LARPs, um, but there is no current mage new book for the LARP. And yeah, it's very hard to find mage LARPs comparatively. You've, you'll find a, a thousand vampire LARPs probably before you'll find a mage LARP. Yeah. So now we went through the combats and hanging out with people and drum so, chops. So at the end, everybody gets in the same room and we start talking about uh, the GM. Uh, I can't remember how it came about, but essentially he said, okay, if you guys want this to happen, 
somebody has to die. And it yep. kind of and a strange so was... way to put it, but it made sense. And the weird thing to me that happened was you, the were-rat, and the leader of the Wisconsin Dell Sept all got up and said, it's going to be me. I'm going to die to save this cairn. And so... Yeah, I believe there was somebody else as well. Um, but yeah, basically, they had to like throw chops at each other. It was a good example of how to quickly and dirtily, you know, quickly and easily resolve player conflict that's actually social um, was it was a really good example of how I think table toppers have a harder time dealing with re- resolution of social things via in PvP via dice. They always want it to be more, you know, you can't convince me to do something type stuff but larpers you know quickly jump into this okay let's you know let's rock paper scissors this out and use our our abilities and stuff like that in order to try and and win a social contest and the wisconsin dell sept leader ended up uh winning and therefore sacrificed himself so and then then they jumped out of rules you know it was just he's dead you know and they saved the 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 sept and uh you know they talked you know they did a nice role play of it but it was it was really well done in general i think well worth it's something that really got me wanting to come back into larping locally with with the group because i really got to see a a really good amount of interaction with the storyteller being involved in a story being part of a pack you know seeing the community work together and I think that's a big difference between werewolf and vampire LARPs uh, to a certain degree is that vampire LARPs are a little bit more of the mystery and the, you know, you kind of... It's a bit more adversarial. You need to work your way in. And werewolf is like, they, they grab you by the, the, the fur of your neck and drag you into the abyss to go fight the Oblivion. So Yeah. And now the the guy that died, his character was named Ivar One-Eye, and he had been the alpha of the Sept in Wisconsin Dells, the game that's played in Madison, where we are. And we actually went to the next LARP after that, which I think was two or three weeks later, and they had, you know, the, it's not called called a funeral, it's uh, death moot, I don't know. But, But we took part in that, and there were people crying, I still can't tell if they were acting or actually crying. There, one of my problems with LARP, I'm like getting a little bit too into it, but, uh, you know, I can deal with that. Uh, but that was, it was really interesting to take part in that and see that these people, you know, th- this was an important part of their lives and, and we got to see some of yeah, that. Yeah, that was, and that was one of the first times that you'd really played in a local actual played as a character in the LARP scene. Yeah. And, the only uh, time... and I find it. That was when we went to that vampire LARP as observers. As an observer, right. Yeah. Um, but this is the first time you played as an actual character in a local like scene kind of thing. And I've, I find it really interesting, because the, there's a large stigma, um, I think, in the tabletop community versus the LARP community that I think is a little bit odd to a certain degree for me, um, except for that a lot of my friends have that stigma and a lot of my interactions though with LARP have been very different than what the stigma is. Uh, yeah, no, like I said, from the outside looking in, LARP is at, at the very least 
difficult to get into because everybody knows each other. There's there's usually... a level of etiquette and a level of uh, I mean because there's the level of etiquette that you have to have just in general to be a vampire and as a uh, as a table topper um, I think that that's something you that gets thrown out the window quite a bit in general you know dealing with kings and stuff like that a table topper is much more willing to spit in the eye of a king to a certain degree you know there's a certain level of anarchy inside of at least when i've seen it with dungeons and dragons even vampire most of the vampire games i've played were by gms that were very dungeons and dragons oriented uh, power gaming oriented you know or uh, mechanically inclined to uh, to allow for the player to be the authority figure or even if it's not mechanically they allow for it to be in story format that you are the centerpieces you are the heroes you are the mages that are saving the city saving the world and you may not meet a lot of authority figures and that's one of the reasons why you become authority figures to a certain degree um, but when you do meet them it's it's not another player so in larp there's you also have the etiquette of just should i be in character when i'm at, you know am, are, since we're always in character what do we, you know and i know you know there's gestures that you have to do you know but there's a lot there's a there's an extra level of um because everybody's playing a character everybody's acting you're creating a scene and the more real that you can make that scene, the more that people appreciate and remember that scene. You know, I think that tabletopper is for a large degree, at least in my experience, um, are much more inclined to sit around a table and uh, bullshit for five hours straight and get through a combat and find, you know, find out what we do with the gold what magical items that we're going to buy, leveling up my character, talking about what we did yesterday. You know, there is, to a certain degree, some very strong instances throughout my memory. And some of the most strongest things that I remember usually are only the things that are when we were really engaged in tabletop. But I definitely remember throughout my 20 years of GMing that, you know, there's a lot of time that is spent just not being in character at all, not caring about the game or what's going on, or, you know, really being involved in the game in general for tabletop, whereas LARP definitely takes a step back from that and tries, one, to have an etiquette for being in character almost all the time, the and being perfectly fine for stepping out of character. Um, and they'll teach you the etiquette, but there is an etiquette. You have to give a symbol and you have or be in an area that is you know where you're not you know or you have a costume that you wear that signifies that you're in character and that's one of the big things too is um they do a lot of costuming i i would actually pull back on that a little bit and say there are some people that do a lot of costuming there's some people that do a little bit of costuming and then there, I would say, at least a third of people that just show up in their regular clothes. And right. Don't really even do much. It's interesting, though, even with the costuming in the sense of um, fitting in with the role play, um, there are still symbols. I'm not wearing my primogen hat. 
or my prince hat or you know i'm you know this is the area that nobody is in character but you you know type thing there's there is certain levels of etiquette that that can be signified through costuming that is not necessarily costumes actually i i would actually suggest we should do an entire episode called larp what to expect because <laughs> yeah i mean that, we, that we could go primer. we could go on for a long time but uh so in general though i think that that's a good uh good wrap up of what uh midwinter was like for the werewolf game um and i really appreciated second act for holding that and if you have any last thoughts mike on uh, uh well i was just going to ask you just off the top of your head if there's somebody listening to this that is maybe hasn't done larp before and is interested what would be the first second third step for them to get involved in a larp uh, in their area or at a con? Well, I, I would say that um, it really depends on a couple of different things. Uh, f- I mean, first of all, the simplest and easiest of answer, it's a, a catch-all for everybody, is just look up online, see if there's any local LARPs that are happening at uh, your city or your local large city. Uh, what, and what kind of search would... terms would you suggest for that? Um, well, I, I would pick your game. So if you want to, there's Dungeons and Dragons LARPs. There's uh, there's the Hobbit LARP, you know, or you know, Lord of the Rings, or even crazier medieval other crazy LARPs that are out there where they use swords, uh, plastic swords, to fight each other and throw beanbags at each other. Um, you know, they, and they're like super into like costuming. You'll you can you can look that up online. You'll see a ton of weird documentaries on them because the people really like to focus on that but in any case um i would say pick your your genre so let's say we're saying world of darkness here you'd say vampire the masquerade larp um and then put in your city and um you know check around um second act i would say you put in like second act werewolf or second act vampire the masquerade that'll put you right to uh their second act website which we'll link on our website here and okay so so now let's say somebody finds a larp in their area and they know the location and they know the time i'm just going to lead you with this question should they be scared to show up and just say i'm a new player what do i do no absolutely not you'll get a varying degree of how much how busy your storytellers are so let's say that there's 40 people and there's two storytellers you might you might see that the storytellers are really, really, really busy, you know, and you don't want to intrude on things. Um, I would say the biggest part for you, though, is to not be intimidated, to try and drop as much intimidation as possible. You know, if you're if you're coming in from tabletop and you don't know anybody and you're just dropping in on somebody's LARP, um, it can feel like you're going to be a disturbance, you know, or that that it's you're not going to have a welcoming time and that's completely not true you're gonna no matter what everybody's gonna want to talk to you now some of their characters might be assholes to you and that's where you need to like take a step back and go okay the character hates me but the person doesn't yeah that's that's Um, where some of the learning curve comes in i would say right and that's some of the they get people are more in character so you know it's harder to to want somebody that's intimidating you in character can be intimidating in general 
um, and they they can quickly drop those role playings. You can quickly go into any time into in into out of character, ask questions, and wonder what's going on. I've never seen a LARP not be welcoming. I have definitely felt intimidated at most of my LARPs, <laughs> and I am uh, personally I'm not a big player. I like playing. I'm more of a quiet player though, um, and I. Either either I'm really quiet or I'm making a lot of trouble. And so at every LARP I've gone to, I've only been the quiet character. Um, I've tried not to make any trouble whatsoever. And I would say, I wouldn't suggest that. I would say go in and make a bunch of trouble. Yeah. Um, go at in. At the very worst, they're, they're going to say, hey, stop doing that. Right. And that's probably the right, best absolutely. thing that can happen to you at a LARP. Because that means you're having fun. But you you don't want to you don't want to be intimidated by by the people or by the game system or anything. You you want to kind of step in and and know that everybody here is here to have a fun time. Everybody is going to enjoy interacting with you, and you know try not to bring a lot of the concerns of your everyday life, and just know that this is just going to be a, a big fun time with a bunch of people who all want to play a game and it's a lot it's it's different than than you're just meeting up with your local friends yeah so to wrap it up if you're a person that larp larp sounds like something you might want to try look one up go to it say hello to everybody ask a lot of questions you might have a good time you might not there's plenty of people that probably aren't going to have a great time at larps but there are tons of people out there that it's definitely a fun time and another one place to go is MidwinterCon. Tons of LARPers. Or Gen Con. Or Gen or Con. Origins. There's LARPs. Uh, the conventions LARPs would be the other way of finding a LARP easy. Those yeah. And those will be really easy to get into. A lot of new people will be there. Yeah, so, and, and, you know, I say I'm not much of a LARPer, but I've done a bunch of what you would call a LARP in the Legend of the Five Rings living campaign, Heroes of Rokugan. And right, and it's conventions we, that got you into that yeah, kind of kind. We, uh, we called stuff. them interactives. So I'm I'm not a LARPer. I'm an interactiver. Anyway, wow, your your name sounds way shittier. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> let's uh, let's try and wrap up this uh, retrospective of midwinter. So that's what we did Friday night. Saturday we went and played a game of dread, and so that's the one yes. with Jenga and. What was the uh, what was the scenario there? So that was the seventh age uh, scenario, which was really awesome. It was the end of the world type scenario, um, you know, third world war type thing. Not you know, just the beginning of the demons taking over and everything like that. We were secret service agents, yep. and we had to take down the or we had to save the president. And yep. eventually, you know, upon finding him. We, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but, uh, yeah, what was the end? you know, we had, we, we, we basically, uh, went throughout the entire building, finding all, all these different people. But the basic concept is, is that every time that you did something, you had to take a pull from the Jenga tower. And so the more that you ran around, the more that things got, you know, more dangerous. And if you pulled from the Jenga tower and it fell, then something really bad happened. Um, if you knocked the tower over on purpose, something really bad happened, but something good would come of it to yeah. a certain degree. Well, essentially, you would die, but something good would happen for your team. 
which I actually did because I had to leave for another thing. And so I was just like, okay, guys, I'm going to knock over the tower. Right. Uh, so now, so, so you guys eventually saved the president. We thought he was a demon worshiper for the almost the entire game, right? He was. Oh, he was the demon worshiper? Yeah, he was a demon worshiper. He made a deal with the demon, and he had the football, uh, and he was going to oh, yeah, launch thought, nukes if people... We thought, it we was thought he VP. was a good guy. Yeah, we thought he was the good guy, and the VP and the cabinet were the bad guys, and then we, it turned out the president right. was the bad guy. Right. We killed all the cabinet and killed all the VP and everybody, and we killed everybody. We even tried killing a whole bunch of people, but it failed because we we we, we found a spell that knocked people out. Uh, or they're, So everybody was turning into zombies. And we found a spell that we hoped would knock them out or turn them back into humans, and it killed one of them. And so for some reason, we thought it was, or I thought it was a good idea to just test it out on a big group of people, because there might be items in that room. <laughs> and uh, so I was totally gamering it. I was like, you know what, let's sacrifice all these people in order to find out <laughs> if there's any items in this room. Yeah. And uh, so, like I said, I'm a troublemaker. I'm either really quiet and just let whatever, you know, I just let people have fun as a player. Or I'm like, no, let's burn the village. You can make gold off of it. Yeah. People uh, are like, what? How, how many times did the Jenga Tower fall after I left? Uh, twice, I think. Was it uh, And then I had a it? repair kit. I, like, jumped into the, the room and shot all of the cabinet members and i uh, got shot myself and then but i had a med kit so i just patched myself up and then gave the football to the president then the president got shot in the head by somebody else so i picked up the football and said that if anybody gets near me i'm going to blow up the world now i'm president so <laughs> it kind of ended with me taking over the world oh well, that's fine i'm pretty sure the players were going to kill me next but we had to go so yeah. i picked a perfect time to end the story yeah. Now it's my story. My story is I rule the fucking world now. Awesome. Uh, the other thing I want to mention about that game is when we showed up, the guy uh, who was running it uh, gave us a sheet of paper with a bunch of questions about our character. And I thought that was a little bit weird. But So I, I had like one sentence answers, and it was like, why did you become a Secret Service agent? You know, yep, that's the dread system. What's your relationship with this other person? And I had like one sentence answers. And then the other people that yep, showed up. It's, like, yeah, and it's, it didn't really matter. It could matter if you I, really wanted it to, but it, it mattered you know, in, to a large degree. I used it in some of the character interactions that I had with the other players, uh, right. which I thought was fun. Yeah, nice little primers. But the, the more interesting thing was you know, these three other players show up like five minutes after us, and I'm already done answering my questions. And these, these guys sat down and were writing like entire paragraphs of things and I was like, "Geez, what, yeah. what's what? Are we gonna have like an, an entire novel like here? Right. There's a lot of, but that was. Well, I, you were making a novel, Mike. How dare you? Unbelievable. Well, you know, unbelievable. You know how I like to write novels. Anyway, yes. uh, so so I had to leave for a thing, and what what did you do until I got back and we played uh, uh, in that uh, changeling game? be honest i'm not sure i don't think uh i don't think i really did much uh then we went to the wrecking crew was the next big thing all right so we went to the wrecking crew which is uh so wrecking crew does um games at conventions very similar to kind of uh what we um are doing kind of inspired a little bit by what they do 
and they go around to a bunch of conventions and run events for the World of Darkness game lines. So they do Onyx Path and New World of Darkness, Old World of Darkness, Trinity. Um, and what we did was Changeling, the Dreaming. It was a 20th anniversary edition. That is a game line we are including in uh, Madison Under Siege as well. And that's something that I, I had a lot of fun. It was the first time that I'd played Changeling Tabletop. I've read a lot about ta- a Changeling. I've participated in LARPs that have Changeling. But in general, I have uh, never actually played a Changeling character. Yeah. And Mike, what do you think of the system for Changeling? And have you ever in- done anything with Changeling? Well, I had never played Changeling before. I've read a little bit of the books, so I know about glamour, banality, uh, a little bit about the courts, the idea that there's the Seelie and the Unseelie. I didn't know that they could interact, like, all the time. I thought there was, like, a war going on, but there there were, what, three Unseelie and two Seelie at the table? Yep. Uh, Yeah, it's always the mixing of, like, you're the... uh... White Wolf does this thing of like at the higher echelons, people might be fighting with each other, but in the sense of I don't think that they're direct factions with each other. Yeah. So in I'm, sense. I'm just going to give a, a quick summary of the game. So we were based in Milwaukee, where the Khan is, and our Duke or Court, the guy that's in charge there, got all the people that were at the table together to uh, send us to Madison where, ironically, we live, so we knew the area. And because Madison stopped responding, and so he sent us, we went through the trods, and we went there, and we found, jeez, what was what was the name of the little girl? What, what was the name of the thing that she was? She was, like well, she was Yeah, she was basically pure banality. Yeah, I, I think there was a term for what she was. But yeah. in any case... Yeah, she um, emitted a, a whole bunch of so so much banality that it kicked everybody out of the the chantry or the yeah. the main place that they they gather in the the the, right now. the the union memorial no, in it Madison. A, it was the theater uh, uh, the theater building on campus. The the, but yep, that's not important. So so we we deal with her for a little bit, and I I think finally. I got her into an Uber that delivered her to the bank. Yeah, like, so that's just a, like magnified. Where does a final person want to go to the bank? And then we found the, the local leader and got him back into his uh, his place. Well, that was the crazy thing is the crazy thing is that she ordered us by phone and she had some kind of technocratic, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, we were all very confused as to what this creature was and why it existed. And all I knew is that we needed to get away from us. And apparently we made it worse. And it was the first time that I really shook my soul playing a game almost because it was like there was this little girl and, and the Unseelie all wanted to torture her. Oh, yeah. And I just wanted to save her. And I'm like... In the end, I'm like breaking. I'm like, okay, so like, you want to torture a little? Can we just kill it? Like, yeah. But I don't want to kill a child. I don't want to kill a child. I want to destroy something that is causing banality, and you guys want to torture a child. And I want to save it, but I can't save it. I just want to get away from it. And I'm, yeah, I'm. There's some bigger thing going on. Very, very le- high level of morality that yeah. needed a moral quandary that there was in that game that I appreciated. 
Yeah. So kind anyway, we, we did finally deal with her and sent her to the bank and got the local leader of Madison back into his place. And so we went back to Milwaukee and said to the, the local leader of Milwaukee, hey, we're pretty sure that you sent us into a trap. And so I, I think at the end, I became the leader in Milwaukee. And then that was the end of the game. But I, I, I had a lot of fun. It was a, a really good good game. We I think we took a picture afterwards. Maybe we'll have to put that in the, the podcast note. Yeah. So anyway, any other comments on that game? Uh, no. All right. So that I think that was the last thing we did on Saturday. Did we do anything on Sunday? Oh, yeah. We played Trinity. Yes. So I, I believe it was the guy that actually was developing this new uh, release of the Trinity books uh, for quite some time. And so we got to play with him as the GM. Yeah, it was a that was a lot of fun. Um, definitely yeah. enjoyed the gaming system. Um, I I like what Onyx Path is doing with their uh, story. Um, it's the story path. There's system. a story path system, and the the storyteller system is a White Wolf system, which I'm part and parcel to probably throughout the rest of my life. I love the simplicity of it, but uh, I think that what they've done probably in some regards is definitely better. And uh, I really like the story path system and how they used it in Trinity was uh, pretty good. What did you think of the the mechanics? Uh, I can't remember them very well, but I remember them working okay. It was the story path system had kind of a different feel to it. Uh, I'm not really sure if I like it too much, but I think it would grow on me if if I used it a lot. I felt it was simpler in some regards, um, especially with the difficulty system. It seemed to be much more fixed, and it was. I th- I, th- I think in some degrees, it's a better overall game line. I think that it it's easier to to mesh a lot of the rules that they have um, for different game lines and for it all to make sense, even with powers and stuff like that, comparatively to the original storyteller system. But the storyteller system, I I just really like. Yeah. And so just to talk about it a little bit, the, the Trinity system is set in, I believe, the near future. And the protagonists, played by the characters, are generally working for one of a few different agencies that are similar to the Phoenix Foundation from uh, MacGyver. So, and then you have powers. There are powers. So it's kind of an altruistic society charity that sends people to deal with, I don't know, environmental stuff. Essentially, you get to play MacGyver or similar 80s action heroes that use powers and intelligence to solve problems is that about the same impression that you got yeah yeah and i felt the powers and the uh the difficulty of achieving something um that the the health level system was was good i felt like it all flowed the combat flowed very well um it seemed like we got a, a pretty decent amount done in the amount of time that we played and for a lot of us having never played the system before, I think that bodes pretty well. Yeah. I was actually kind of disappointed when he said the content was done. I, I kind of felt like, oh man, we could have kept going. 
What's, what's yeah, there was, it was only about a two hour, did we, it, we only went about half the time yeah, that we were supposed we to. We went hour, hour and a half, uh, but yeah, it, it was a good time. We, uh, and I think that was, that was the last thing we did there. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, just to wrap it up, what are your plans for next year at Midwinter? Uh, next year at Midwinter, um, I'm debating whether or not we should have a four table event or if i want to run a lot of smaller four hour um, one table events but i definitely want to run a bunch of tabletop events next year at midwinter other than that um, i'm going to see if i can fit in one good solid larp possibly check out for sure what the wrecking crew would be uh doing and because I, I really want to see this year, they kind of just did a catch-all. Here are all of our game lines. You can come on-demand type stuff. Um, next year, they said they were thinking of doing specific game lines. And I'm really excited to... I like the idea of specifically picking what, what game line I'm going to be playing. Because I want to see... I want to play Demon. I want to play Changeling. And we did actually get to play Changeling, which I was really excited uh, it was one of the ones that I really wanted to play. But I also wanted to play Demon, or I wanted to play Hunter, or I wanted to play Exalted. You know, these are different things that, you know, you don't usually get to play. Um, and I'd, I would like to have been able to sign up specifically for one. So I'm going to see uh, what they do for that. Cool. And you might actually be uh, storytelling for one of the LARPs, probably. Maybe. Possibly. Uh, maybe. Um, it depends on what they're... I mean, that's... Yeah, it's all tentative type stuff. Well, anyway, we are going pretty long, so I'm going to say we should probably just wrap this up and we'll do the character profiles next week because uh, we're already at hour and a half, hour 45. Uh, so what uh, what shout-outs do you have this week? Uh, shout-outs this week um, would definitely be to uh, Rick Hines. Um, just uh, really appreciated uh, the seminar that uh, he was part of and definitely really enjoyed his game his book and look forward to uh, seeing what else he produces um, other than that uh, once again I'd like to uh, thank BK and the Midnight Express we'll be putting links in our show for that and and of course as always I would like to uh, thank our players and anybody who uh, participates or wants to uh, work with us you can always see us at facebook at facebook slash madison under siege and we are on twitter as tarp llc uh, at tarp llc and you can always contact us at madison under siege at gmail.com anything that you want to uh, add mike well i'd like to give a shout out to the organizers of midwinter you guys put on a great con. Uh, additional shout out to Onyx Path. One of the highlights of my gaming career is sitting in a room with all the guys that are currently working on those books and putting them out and adding content to that world that, uh, that we all enjoy. And uh, a shout out to Craig Campbell, the author of Die Laughing and Capers, who I think we're probably going to see next year. Oh, and the... Uh, the organizer of Midwinter is Ann Holmes. I've been waiting for that page to load. So thanks, Ann. I hope to see you next year. And uh, maybe we'll 
be running some stuff there. So you got anything else? All right. Uh, yeah, that was really good. Awesome. All right. Well, everybody, we'll see you next week on Crossing Darkness.